0: All right, good morning, guys. We will uh, go ahead and get started. Thank y'all for coming. My name is Joe Deegan. I am uh, on staff here with RYM. and uh, before we get rolling, I'll tell you a little bit about myself so that you can know me uh, before we get into the lesson. So I live in Houston, Texas. I've been in Houston for 10 years now, but I'm originally from a small town in Alabama called Tuscumbia, which is where Helen Keller's from. That's our one claim to fame. And I uh, was born and raised there, went to the University of North Alabama, and moved out to Houston when I graduated college to work with my best friend who I'd grown up with. His name's John Trapp. He's the RUF pastor at Texas, uh, University of Texas. And so John and I uh, worked with the youth group at Christ the King Presbyterian in Houston. And then he eventually left and went to Austin to finish seminary. And I took over as director and did that for a few years. And then um, uh, I felt a calling towards music and wasn't really sure what that would look like and ventured out to do the singer-songwriter thing and kind of uh, explore that world and eventually landed with RYM, with this job right here. And it has been a dream job for me. I get to lead worship at all the camps but I'm also on staff full-time, so I'm working from home during the school year, and I'm writing and recording and making albums and curriculum for RYM, and I've just absolutely loved it. And, um, and it's, been, uh, it's been good for my family, it's been good for me, but it has also uh, given me an opportunity to continue to do things like this. And even though I'm not in youth ministry right now, I've always loved teaching. And one of the reasons I love teaching is the the opportunity to tell stories. Because I think deep down inside, I always tell people this, um, I don't really consider myself a musician as much as I consider myself a storyteller. Because that just happens to be the thing I'm most passionate about, the thing that I love doing the most. And, uh, And I'm excited about this week because I get an opportunity to talk about stories. So, I come from a long line of storytellers. My grandmother was kind of a professional storyteller in Tuscumbia. She would go around to festivals and places like that, telling folk tales and ghost stories and things like that. And I can remember sitting on the lawn of the Helen Keller Public Library when I was a kid and just hearing her tell these ghost stories at these summer night festivals hundreds of people gathered around, and I was just entranced. And so at an early age, I developed a love for stories. And they have shaped and molded who I am today. And what I want to talk about is that you and I were meant for stories. Stories shape us in ways that nothing else can. And so I want to, uh, before I kick off, uh, I want to pray. But I I just want to say that this week is going to be about stories and how and why they shape us, but ultimately about the story that God is telling through his scripture and through your life. So let's pray and then we'll jump into it. God, we do thank you so much for the way you've loved us. We thank you for this beautiful day, for this opportunity to come into a classroom and sit and talk about you and your word and your story. And God, there are many temptations and distractions right now. There's the distraction of wanting to be out on the beach right now when we're stuck in the classroom. And the distracting, distraction of the fact that we just sat through a lesson from somebody else and now everybody's here and we're a little bit tired and probably hungry. All these things going on. God, I pray that you would free us from those distractions just for this short amount of time. Please help us to be in this room and present and focusing on you and your word. And I pray that you would shape us right now through your story. And God, I pray that you would give me words and speak through me, because my words mean absolutely nothing by themselves. And I need you right now, God. So God, would you come and be gracious enough to meet with us? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by telling you a story about stories. So, way back in like the 14, 15, 1600s in Europe, most people lived in out in these rural communities and farmlands and villages out in the hills or near the forests and the woods. And most of these small-town communities they cared a lot about family values. And so they worked really hard to instill family values into their children. And uh and they realized early on that they couldn't just give their kids rules because it just wasn't effective. You know, they would come in and they would say, like, okay, here are the rules, kids. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't disrespect your parents, and don't go into the woods because there are animals out there that wanna eat you and bandits and robbers that wanna hurt you. Okay, what's the first thing a five-year-old's gonna do when they hear that? They're gonna lie, they're gonna steal, they're gonna cheat, and they're definitely gonna go into the woods because you just told them not to do that, okay? Like there's something about rules that just makes us wanna break them. We wanna do the opposite. And parents realize this. and So what they started doing instead in order to shape and mold their children they started telling stories this was the days before tv and internet okay so they would gather around a fireplace at night and a parent would tell a story about a little girl dressed in red who wanders through the woods to bring a meal to her grandmother but along the way she runs into a big bad wolf okay these are the stories they would tell and you imagine if you're a five year old and you hear that story you're going to go I don't want to go into the woods. All right, boom, mission accomplished. It worked, okay? Stories shape us and mold us in ways that rules don't. That's what I want you to see, is that you were actually made for stories. Now, sometime around the early 1800s, there were these two brothers named Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm who decided to collect these stories. And they wrote a book called Grimm's Fairy Tales, and it includes a lot of the stories that you and I grew up on. Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood. That's just to name a few. All right. These were the stories that you and I grew up on and the stories that generations have grown up on. And these stories find their root in the idea that rules don't shape us. Stories do. And if there was a theme to everything we're talking about this week, it's that. Rules don't shape us. Stories do. I'll Give you another example of that. Um there is a writer named Sally Lloyd-Jones who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. And uh, she, I heard her tell this story one time that she was at a school, like a kindergarten classroom, and she was there to read the story of Daniel and the lion's den to these children. So she sits down and starts to read, and the teacher gets up and walks away out of the classroom. And she's just alone with these kids, and she's going, oh, wow, okay. Well, I'm just going to keep reading. I'm sure she'll come back. Well, as she reads the story, she notices this little kindergarten girl, her eyes are this big, and she's just in awe of the story of Daniel, and keeps scooting closer and closer to Sally, until she's almost like up in her lap. She is so transfixed with the story, and when Sally Lloyd-Jones finishes the story of Daniel in the lion's den, she looks around, and the teacher's not back in the room, and she kind of panics a little bit, and she says the first thing that comes to her mind, what she said was, okay, children. What can we learn from the story of David? And she looked at this little girl, and she saw her face just drop. And she looked away, and she was completely uninterested at that point. And Sally Lloyd-Jones says, the best way to ruin a good story is to turn it into a lesson. Why? Because we were made for stories. Stories shape and mold us in ways that nothing else can. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. i I'm not sure where that is? It is at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 and 27. <clears throat> so God has just created everything. Out of nothing, He has created everything. And He said, it is good. But then he gets to this part that we're about to read, and this is the pinnacle of his creation. The best part, the part when he create, creates it, he looks at it and says, it is good, it is very good. That's what part he's creating. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Uh, I felt to mention earlier a little bit about my family. So my wife, Leah, is from Houston, and she's here right now. And I have three kids who are also here. They're actually swimming at that pool right now. Ellie is five, Sam is three and a half, and Will is two. And Maggie will be here in October We are expecting number four, and I can't wait to meet her. But... My middle son, Sam, is the one who looks the most like me. Uh, if you compare baby pictures, he's just like you know, he's like me. It's kind of crazy. But there are more than just looks going on. He, he shares a lot of kind of my makeup and the way I think about things. He is very imaginative and uh, artistic and creative, but he's also very scatterbrained, not very organized, has trouble paying attention. Like, those are all like me. Those are my traits that he's just getting from me. But it goes beyond that, even just the way he thinks. There are certain little things that he does that kind of blow my mind that are just me all over. Uh, like when Sam was nine months old, he started doing this thing where he would sit down. He couldn't walk yet. He would sit down in the middle of a room, and I would sit behind him, and he'd just throw himself backwards, and I would catch him. And he'd just cackle and laugh and thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I'd never seen a baby do that before. And I'd sit him back up and he'd sit there and just go, throw himself back. Oh, there goes my hat. And he'd just think it was so funny. And he'd just do it over and over again. And I'd never seen a baby do that. And my parents came in town to visit one day. And I said, Mom, you got to see this. Look at what Sam's doing. And he'd sit there and he'd throw himself back. And he'd cackle and laugh. And I looked up at my mom and she's just staring at me going, uh, Joe, you used to do the exact same thing when you were that age. I said, you're making that up. She showed me a home video of little nine-month-old Joe Deegan sitting in the living room with my dad behind me, and I'd throw myself backwards and just cackle and laugh and think it was the funniest thing in the world. It was like a nine-month-old version of a trust fall, I guess. And my dad would catch me, and, and I was blown away because it was the exact same thing that Sam would do. I didn't teach Sam to do that, okay? It's not like I walked in and said, all right, Sam, it's time to do the little trust fall that your dad used to do when he was nine months old. I had no idea that I did that. But there was something in me that got transferred to Sam and he started doing the same thing. Even little things like, like, so my mom was actually here the first week, this is our third week in a row here at the beach, but she was actually here two weeks ago and we we're out on the beach and most kids like to play in the sand and stuff or we like surf in the water and Sam would go up and he would kick the waves and he would fight him and pretend like he was a superhero and my mom was standing there and she said, Joe, you used to do the exact same thing when you went to the beach. It's like, that's you. I don't know where he gets that. I didn't teach him that stuff. There's just something in Sam that kind of comes from me. And when people see Sam, they look at him and go, that boy is the spitting image of you. So when God says that we were made in his image, that's actually what I want you to have in mind. It's not just, we're not just talking about looks. We're talking about something much deeper. We, we share God's DNA There is a part of him that is in us that he put in us. And he said, it is good. It is very good. We bear his image. But two chapters later, that image is corrupted. It's ruined by the fall and we fall under the curse. And so, instead of loving the things that God loves and hating the things that he hates, we begin to do the opposite of what we were made for. We begin to love the things that he hates and hate the things that he loves. But every now and then, We will see who we were meant to be, and that part of our image that was created in God will kind of shine through, and we will begin to love the things that he loves, and one of the places we see that most clearly is in our love for stories. When I was a youth pastor, I would teach Sunday school class every (coughs) every Sunday, and I used to joke with my students about this, that I would be in the middle of a lesson and kind of Kind of the meat like maybe even the boring part of just like we got you know we're kind of plodding along and I could see their eyes glazing over and I could see their heads dropping and I could see them slowly fading away. And then I would say, This one time every head would perk up and every eye was locked in on me. Why? Because they knew that I was about to tell a story. You don't realize this, but you just did the exact same thing when I started telling that story, okay? (laughs) Because there is something inside of us that just wants to hear stories. And that's not a bad thing. That's a beautiful thing. We want to hear stories because we were made for stories. How many of y'all have seen Avengers Endgame? All right, for those of you who haven't seen it, let me tell you how it ends. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't want to hear that. Uh, That would be really cool. Uh, I've grown to really like the Marvel movies. I think they're a lot of fun. I didn't grow up on superheroes or comic books or anything like that. But I think the Marvel movies are great movies and a lot of fun. The thing that blows my mind about Avengers Endgame is that it's the second highest grossing movie of all time. And it's maybe about to pass Avatar as the number one movie of all time. And the amazing thing is, is that that movie by itself is actually a terrible standalone movie. Like You can't just walk into that movie and like know what's going on. You're going to be completely lost. You have to have seen at least some of the movies before that. And yet that movie is the second highest grossing movie of all time. You know what that tells me? It tells me that human beings everywhere love stories. Even stories that take 11 years and 22 films to make. Okay? We love stories. We were created for stories. Stories shape us and mold us and move us in ways that nothing else can So I want to talk about three things this morning. Number one, your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others, and number three, your story needs to be shaped by God's story. So let's look at number one, your life is a story. I was an English major in college, and I I can't count the number of times I had multiple professors say to us that there are certain elements that every story has to have, and if a story doesn't have one of these elements, then it's not a story. So I'm gonna give you three things. This is gonna sound a little bit like an English lesson. Bear with me, okay? This has a point, this is important. I'm gonna give you three things that every story has to have, and I made them all start with the letter C, and I'm super proud of myself for that because I'm an English major and I like alliteration, okay? So, the first thing every story has to have is construction. It has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It is constructed in a form. The second thing, it has to have characters. Because characters form relationships that drive the narrative forward. And number three, it has to have conflict. It has to have a problem that needs to be fixed. If you don't have conflict, you don't have story. Construction, characters, conflict. I want you to think about your life for a second. Your life has construction. You have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You were born... You live for a certain amount of time, and then that time comes to an end. We don't know when, but it does. Your life has construction. You have characters in your life. You are one of the characters in your your life. The main character, actually, in a lot of ways. And those characters are put in your life for a reason because they form relationships with you to help you walk through life. You are not just a collection of atoms that's thrown here by accident. You have actual characters in your life who come alongside you and form those relationships. And you have conflict. We, We talked about Genesis chapter three briefly, that when the fall happened, everything fell under a curse. And that means we have constant conflict. Conflict between you and the person sitting next to you. Conflict between your neighbors. Conflict between you and God. Conflict between you and creation and created things, and the way we're constantly worshiping idols and created things, and in conflict within you and yourself. That's why we need peace in all these places. That's why our theme this summer is peace with God. But your life has conflict, your life has construction characters in conflict. Why? Because your life is a story. Your life is a story, and that's what I want you to see, that you are not an accident. You're not just a collection of molecules that's kind of walking around this earth and just kind of making do with what's in front of you. There is an actual narrative going on. Your life is a story, and it's part of a much bigger story that's being told, and you have to understand that you're part of that in order to move on. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. There's a lady named Emily S. Fahani Smith who says this, when we want people to understand us, we share our story with them. And when we want to know who another person is, we ask them to share their story. So one day when I was a youth pastor, I had a kid that I was meeting with who was going through something really hard. And I was really intimidated because I didn't know what to say to him or, or how to have this conversation. And I went to see a counselor friend of mine to get advice before I went into this meeting. And they said this to me, and I'll never forget this. This was like, this sticks with me every single day. They said, if you want to convince somebody of the truth, you have to get them to hear themselves say it out loud. In other words, like if you have a friend who's going through something hard and like, you, you need to tell them something, the best way is not for you to go grab them by the shoulders and say, listen to me, and then tell them. That the most effective way to convince somebody of the truth is to ask them the right kinds of questions that get them to say, them, to say out loud what's happening and to get them to hear themselves say out loud what is happening. Why is that the case? Because there's something magical that happens. This is just the way God made us. I don't know why. But there's something magical that happens when you hear yourself say out loud what's going on. I mean, this goes all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, What was the first thing that God said to them? Where are you? You don't think God knew where they were? He said, where are you? Why? Because he wanted them to hear themselves say out loud what had happened. Because that's why confession is important. That's why telling our stories is important. Because you need to hear yourself say out loud what's going on in your life. James 5, 13-16 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And if anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let me sum up that passage. James is saying this. If you want to be healed, you need to tell your story to someone else. And you need to hear yourself say that story out loud. That's why you need the church. That's why you need to go to church day in and day out. Because you need people around you to share that story with you. You are not meant to live the Christian life alone. I have a group of friends, a group of guys that recently we've been getting together. We all live in different cities. But literally just the past several months, we will get together every now and then, and we'll sit in front of each other in a circle, and we'll just tell each other our stories. And one person will go and talk for maybe 30 minutes and say... This is what my life was like growing up. This is what, uh, what was hard. This is how I think it kind of affects me now. This is what I loved about my childhood. This is what college was like. These are the things that I struggle with right now. These are the things that I enjoy right now. We just talk, talk about our stories. And we'll just sit and listen. We don't give advice, we don't interject, we just listen and then we move on to the next person. And there's something magical and healing in telling our stories out loud to someone else. You know why? Because I actually get to know these people. And I actually feel myself being known by them. The purpose of telling our stories to one another is so that we can actually be known by one another. And ultimately, this is how we know God. By telling our story. And by hearing him tell his story. Which brings us to our third and last point. Your story should be shaped by God's story. Now listen, let me say this to you. Quick little side note, quick disclaimer. You guys have been great. You're locked in there with me. You're paying attention. I know that this feels a little bit plodding, okay? This is even more of a kind of like drudging lesson than than what I like to have. Uh, It's a class about stories. Tomorrow I'm going to tell lots of stories, okay? So hang in there with me. I have to lay the groundwork for today, okay? But the rest of this week will be a lot more stories and kind of like dive deeper, but this is the groundwork we have to get through. Y'all been great. Keep pushing through with me. This last point is really important. It's actually super practical. It's something I think you can really take away, like, tangibly uh, when you leave this room. Your story should be shaped by God's story. When I was a little kid, I used to ask this question all the time, how do you listen to God? Because I would hear people say things like, Oh, you just you need to listen to God more. Or God told me to do this or God told me to do that. Or I heard God say this the other day. And I was so baffled by that. It's like how like I know God spoke to Abraham and Moses. I've never heard him speak in an audible voice. How do you what do you what are you talking about? How do you listen to God? How do you hear him? And those people would always say, well, it's kind of like, you know, it's like imagine you can't, well, it's kind of like, if you kind of, if you like, you can't, you, it's kind of a feeling maybe. Or it's like, you know, you keep. It's like you have to get really quiet. And like, I never could get a straight answer. And I was always blown away. I couldn't understand. Like, how do you listen to God? And then when I was in high school, somebody explained to me, the best way to listen to God is to read your Bible. Why? Because this is literally God's word He's spoken to us that God speaks most clearly through his word. And I heard that and I was like, "Ah, that makes sense. I've never thought about that before. Like, how have I missed that my whole life? The way to listen to God is to read your Bible. Got it, done. Even then, I wasn't getting the full picture. I'm not saying I have the full picture now, but I'm saying I've recently, recently learned something that has changed the way I've read the Bible. And here I am in my 30s. And I've been a youth pastor and a teacher and a worship leader for so much of my adult life. And I'm just being vulnerable with you right now and telling you that I have struggled with reading my Bible my entire adult life. Until recently. And something has happened that has changed the way that I've read the Bible. Because for most of my adult life, I read this book. I listened to God. When I say listen to God, I mean read my Bible. I listened to God the same way that I would listen to a teacher giving instructions in a classroom. I would open up my Bible and say, God, what do you want me to do? Give me instructions. Tell me how to handle this situation in my life. Tell me how to apply this verse to my life. Uh, Tell me what I need to do and then I'll leave. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can't learn stuff from the Bible. I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't teach us lessons. I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't instruct us. It does all those things. But what I'm saying is if that's the only reason you read your Bible, then you're missing the whole point because first and foremost, this is a story. And it's not just a story, it's God's story. Remember how I I, I told you about this group of friends that we would sit around and tell each other our stories? That is what has changed the way I've read my Bible because this is what's happened. Instead of coming to God like he's a teacher in a classroom, I come to him like he's a friend telling me his story. I want you to imagine this. Imagine when you open up your Bible, God is literally sitting across from you saying this. God is saying, I want you to know me, so I'm going to tell you my story. And there will be parts of this story that will teach you great lessons. And there will be parts that will give you instruction. And there will be parts that will apply directly to your life and directly to what's going on in your life. But first and foremost, God is saying, this is my story. And I'm telling it to you because I want you to know me. And I want you to be intimate with me. That's why we read our Bibles. And when I finally started to see that, it has changed the way that I've read my Bible. Because I come to him now because I want to know Him, And look... Like I said, there will be parts of this book that will apply directly to your life, and there will be parts that won't. (laughs) I was recently reading through the book of Judges, and there's a story in there about this guy who's running away from an army. He goes and hides in this woman's tent, and he says, you have to hide me. This army's chasing me. She says, sure, sure, you can hide in here. In fact, you can go down and go to sleep if you want to. I'll keep you safe. And he goes, thank you, I'm really tired. Lays down, goes to sleep. While he's sleeping, she grabs a massive tent peg, hammers it through his temple, and kills him in his sleep. And I read that story, and I thought application to my life is there is no like that story does not apply to my life okay (laughs) i cannot find a way that that story applies to my life and you know what it doesn't and that's okay because ultimately this book is not about me and it's not about you it's about god god is the main character and this is god telling you his story because he wants you to know him and he gave us that story in Judges for a reason. Because it's part of a bigger story. And that's why it's important to read the Bible in context. If you just jump into Avengers Endgame, you're going to miss like the whole story that's going on. That's why you have to get the big picture. The same is true of the Bible. If you just jump into that story in Judges, you're going to be like, this is the craziest book I've ever read. It is, by the way. Okay, But you have to see the big picture, the whole context, the massive story that God is telling God is telling you this story so that you can know him better. And the last thing I'm going to say is this. You need to listen to his story every day. I have struggled with this my entire adult life, reading my Bible every day. And I realized something about myself recently. I played sports growing up. Basketball is my sport, which means that I am a sprinter. I'm not an endurance runner. Like a long distance run for me is like one mile. That's about as far as I can go. The idea of running a marathon blows my mind. I cannot fathom doing that. I'm a sprinter. I'm going to line up at the end of the baseline, run as hard as I can to the other end. And when I'm there, I'm going to put my hands on my knees and be out of breath and be done. Okay? That's like, that's my idea of running. It's just sprint, go as hard as you can out of the gate. And I realized something. I realized that I had been reading the Bible the same way my entire whole life. Here's what I mean. I'd get super fired up about reading the Bible. And I would say, I'm going to read 10 chapters a day, every day, for the rest of the year. I'm going to read through the Bible twice. I don't even know if the math adds up on that. But that's just what I would tell myself. And I'd be so fired up about it. In day one, I'd come in and read 10 chapters. And I'd be done, and I'd be feeling so good about myself. I'd feel like this awesome Christian that God loved me more because of that. Day two, I'd come in and read 10 chapters. I'd be like, Phew. starting to get a little winded. Starting to get a little out of breath. You know what? It's good. And we're plugging through. Day three, I'd read the first five chapters, and I'd stop and go, I got a lot of stuff I got to do today. This is taking so long. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to make up for it tomorrow. So the next day, I come in, and I read 15 chapters, and I'm just, like, gritting my teeth to the end, and I'm so worn out and so out of breath. The next day, I wake up, and I go, you know what? God, God God, wants me to rest, and he cares, he cares about my, my rest. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a day off. I think, in fact, I think God would, 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 uh, would like for me to take a day off. And, yeah, and God's still going to love me. He's not going to be disappointed. I'm, I'm going to take a day off. So I take a day off, and then the next day, and the next, and the next, it becomes easier and easier to not read my Bible. When weeks go by, sometimes months. I have it open this book. And then comes the guilt and the shame, and I wallow in it, and then I pick myself up and I go, I'm back on the horse, baby, 10 chapters a day, we're going to do it again, I'm going to do it right this time, and I repeat that same cycle over and over and over and over again for years. This is the way I've been reading my Bible my entire adult life, until literally recently. The first thing that changed the way I read the Bible was I realized that this is God telling me His story, and the whole purpose is to know Him better. The second way it has changed is I've realized that running the Bible, sorry, reading the Bible, is like running a marathon. It's not like running a sprint. You have to pace yourself because this is something you should be doing for the rest of your life. So you know what I started doing? I started reading one chapter a day. I picked the book of the Bible. I picked the book of Joshua. And I read Joshua 1, and I closed it, and I prayed. The next day, I read Joshua 2, and I closed it, and I prayed, and so on and so on. And you know what? That was several months ago. I haven't missed a day since then. I'm not saying that in any way to boast. I've just told you how terrible I've been at reading my Bible. I'm telling you this, that when you find a pace of reading Scripture, you will actually begin to condition yourself for God's Word. That's what the word condition means. Like you run so that you can go through conditioning practice. If you find a pace like that and a rhythm in your life, in your daily life, you will condition yourself to love God's word more and more. It's not. There's nothing magical about a chapter. It's not like a chapter a that keeps the devil away, which is what Russ said last night, right? It, it, the point is to find that rhythm and that pace because I think God cares more about faithfulness in the little things than he does about huge, grand gestures of faith. In fact, he says so in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Think about this. If you read one chapter a day, every day for a month, how many chapters will you have read at the end of the month? 30, 31? When's the last time you read 31 chapters of the Bible in one month? You see how it adds up? Over time, there's this cumulative effect of reading your Bible. And it begins to shape you and mold you. And you know what's happened to me? Is that some days I'll come in and I'll read two, three, five, seven chapters in one day. I don't want to put it down. It's fascinating. And I will see this hunger growing within me for God's word. And that doesn't have to be the new norm. The next day I go back and I read one chapter. I don't feel guilty about it. But I just want to be in God's word every single day. And I slowly begin to see what life is like when I'm actually walking with God. When I'm actually listening to his story day in and day out. And I begin to see his story shaping my story. And That's the goal. That's what sanctification is. It's us walking with God being shaped by his story. And I know this sounds like an infomercial, or like a motivational speech. But I'm telling you, you can do this. I'm encouraging you right now. You need to be in God's word. Like, we're so afraid to tell people what to do in the Reformed tradition. And I get that. Because we don't want to come across as legalistic. Like, if you read your Bible every day, God's going to love you more. That's not true. But if you read your Bible every day, you will love God more. That is true. And the whole point is to know him better and love him more. And I'm telling you right now, you need to be in your Bible every single day. You can do it. Pace yourself. Pace yourself. Don't feel like you have to read the whole Bible in one month or even one year. Pace yourself. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You need to be slowly shaped by God's story. I so badly want you to love Scripture. I want you to walk out of this room excited to be in God's Word day in and day out because you need it. Now tomorrow we're going to come in and we're going to talk about some of the bad stories that this world is telling us and how to distinguish between the bad stories and the good stories and how to use wisdom. Thank you for sitting in there. I know today was kind of plodding and long, but I hope that there were practical things you can take away. I also hope that a groundwork was laid so that we can continue talking about stories the rest of this week. Thank you, guys. for me pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us so good to us, in fact, that you made yourself known by telling us your story. God, would you help us to see that you are the main character of that story? That that story is all about you. You are the hero of that story and you are the hero of our stories. So would you deliver us from the temptation to save ourselves? Would you deliver us from the temptation to be our own heroes and to be the ones who who go through this life with power and pride, would you deliver us from that temptation and would you bring us to a place of humility so that we would realize how much we need you and how much we need your story to shape our stories. Because we've already seen stories are the most effective things on the planet. Nothing changes us and shapes us like stories do. And there is no story greater than the story you told in Scripture. So God, please give us a desire to read our Bibles every day and to walk with you day in and day out so that we can know you better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.